from Mesh AI. This is the Data and AI podcast. It's episode eight. I'm DBS and joining me today is Deepak Ventsi. How are you doing, Deepak? Very well, thanks, DBS. Glad to be back. So tell us, Deepak, what's been going on this week? So we've got quite an exciting week coming up, actually. I'm traveling over to France to speak to one of our energy and utility clients with regards to the Data and AI strategy and how that's got to help reimagine the entire business over the course of the next 18 to 24 months. And, and it's a pivotal part of where they're currently on their transformation journey. So quite an exciting week coming up. It's definitely been an interesting week in the wider space. I'm sure many of you will have seen the Times 100 AI list. Uh, to me, it's a very significant moment in the technical sphere and the business sphere, highlighting the traction that AI has made and the impact it's made. There's some very, very technical folks on that on that list that a few years ago just wouldn't have seen the light of day. And it really demonstrates to me you know, the impact that AI is having across the industry. So that's my highlight of the week. Okay, so Deepak, tell us what we're here to talk about today. So joining us today is a good friend, as well as someone who's been a colleague for many, many years, um, Meshi's Chief Customer Officer, Ben Saunders, with whom DBS, you've been collaborating upon our recently released State of AI in the Enterprise Research Report. This report's been months in the workings and is based off responses from more than 200 business leaders who've given us their honest and independent point of view on what enterprises are and are not doing with AI. So if you're someone who's often got imposter syndrome, given all the buzz that we're hearing about AI in, in the news and what companies are and aren't doing, this will give you quite an honest perspective of what is and isn't working with regards to enterprise AI adoption. Welcome, Ben. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks, Deepak. Thanks very much for having me along. I guess this is my first stint on uh, the Mesh AI podcast, so I'm excited to to share a little bit more insight about the research and hopefully um, provide some further substance as to why we did it and ultimately what impact we'd like it to try and provide to our customers and the, the wider industry as a whole. So Ben, we, we talked about this research back end of the year, I think it was February. Why don't you talk us through where the idea came from, why we've done it and how others can benefit from the research we've, we've executed? I guess first and foremost, it feels a lot like 2023 has been the year of AI. You know, if we think back as far to February, March time when OpenAI was released to the world and really kind of increased the subconsciousness of artificial intelligence um, in boardrooms across the world, we really wanted to make a bit more of a concerted effort around separating facts from fiction and provide customers with some substance as to what others were doing in their respective sectors whilst giving them a flavor of the potential opportunities and challenges that not only their organization is likely going to be experiencing, but what others across a wide variety of industries are also going through when we start to talk about, you know, the burgeoning adoption of AI. I guess it's probably really important to just kind of touch on this as well, that this wasn't my brainchild. Um, this was the culmination of, you know, cross-functional teams within our business from marketing, our data team, and, and especially so our AI team as part of our company day back in February, March time, I think it was, um, when we all got together and we kind of agreed on some key objectives and results that we wanted to achieve over the course of the year. And ultimately, the, the culmination of that was this research paper. So it's something that we've said collectively. We wanted to establish a bit more of a voice and an opinion in the industry about what actually is the state of AI adoption. You know, going back to that mythic of separating fact from fiction, what we really wanted to do was establish this as a an annual research insight that we will release on a yearly basis. So 
hopefully 2023 is the first in many, many iterations of this research. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're firm believers that you can't necessarily improve what you don't measure. So I'm hoping that what we take from 2023 will show patterns of evolution as we move into 2024. And, and when we get to 2025, you know, we'll see a vast array of differing views, vectors and perspectives around how AI has kind of scaled in the enterprise. And that for me was a super important piece um, of thought leadership that we had to generate within our business, but ultimately use that as a mechanism to help our customers in their respective journeys as well. So it might be worth, Ben, just just giving the listeners a, a rundown of the types of, of topics in the report. You know, I, I think, as you mentioned, the goal is to create learnings across different industries. And, and it'd be good today to, to go through some of the key learnings that you feel have really jumped out and give our listeners something to gain comfort in and also learn from into the future. So the research paper has eight specific chapters um, covering a whole life cycle of requirements. Um, first chapter really looks at strategy and drivers. So how are organizations looking at AI and where are they looking to apply it in their respective businesses? Um, secondly, we look at maturity and familiarity of AI. So how ready are organizations? What have they got in place? What don't they? And how much muscle memory and understanding is there in the business around AI capabilities? Um, thirdly, we then start to look at projects and outcomes. So what type of value are organizations typically deriving from the initiatives that they're launching uh, in respect of AI adoption? Um, and then fourthly, we start to look at challenges and risk. So what are the prohibitors and what are the, um, the potential disruptions that are preventing AI from being scaled in a, an accelerated timeframe? And then in the fifth chapter, we start to look at ethics and governance. So how are organizations controlling their respective adoption of AI and ensuring that it maps back to the ethical considerations and principles of their business? Um, in the sixth chapter, we start to look at uh, how organizations are implementing and ultimately deploying AI-enabled capabilities into production across their um, technology landscape. In the seventh chapter, we start to look at uh, concerns and considerations around competition and new market entrants that could potentially disrupt uh, established business models for enterprise organizations. And then finally, we look at talent and skills, really trying to understand how organizations are readying their organization to have the sufficient skills and experience to scale AI in their respective businesses and ultimately how they're looking to either acquire new talent or uh, enable the workforce that they currently have in place to be uh, successful with AI-enabled capabilities. That's very interesting, Ben. And, and you know, certainly having read the report through myself, there's certainly so many different factors and, and elements as part of an organization's AI readiness and maturity that, that's been covered in there. One of the elements that actually came as a bit of a surprise to me, and I'd like both on your DBS and as well as DBS's take on it, was we found that the majority of enterprises have rated the AI maturity to be somewhat or very mature, around 73%. I think safe to say if we would have run a survey like this perhaps a year and a half to even two years ago, that number would have been significantly lower. However, looking at some of the releases from the likes of Microsoft, Google, AWS, and, and other partners as well, certainly the barrier to entry with regards to building and consuming AI as part of your day-to-day processes has 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 been reduced significantly. Uh, what what would you think, from your perspective, has led to 
you know, this maturity being 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 so high. Um, because I think looking at a lot of the other technology trends that we've seen over the last couple of years, say for example, cloud adoption, this rate wouldn't have been as high as what AI maturity currently seems to be. Uh, what do you think the contributing factors to to that might be? And, and, and DBS will be good to get your point of view as well on that. I guess I'll jump in first. I would love to turn around and say it's because they've chose to work with Mesh AI, Deepak, obviously. But I think the reality of this is that we are just getting started, but typically enterprise organizations are more often than not the established few who for a very long period of time have had data science capabilities. Um, they've introduced quantitative analytics if we, you know, we consider the financial services sector as an example as well. So inherently there is a deep rooted association with machine learning approaches and methodologies in these respective organizations. And, and for many, um, they have had to ab- abide by um, model risk management policies that have been um, set before them by the likes of uh, the FCA, the PRA, you know, if we're talking about energy and utilities, the likes of Ofgem and, and, and many others. So the guidelines and the principles have kind of been established for some time about what you can do. And I think many have, you know, embarked on isolated ML AI initiatives without probably having a a coherent strategy about how AI can really be applied across the entirety of the business. So I think where we talk about that 73% number, my kind of work and assumption is that those are very targeted initiatives and use cases that have been kind of taken to production. Um, And I think to your point, the, the big thing for me is like the democratization of AI into everyday business processes. Um, And I don't think that's the thing that's quite well understood. And I think when we look forward into the future iterations of the research paper, that's certainly something that we should, we should certainly uh, consider in in more detail. Um, I don't know, DBS, do you you share any different reflections on that at all? No, I think you're spot on. But to Deepak's point, if we'd have taken this survey a few years ago, what we're seeing in from mature to very mature is, is the majority sitting in the middle, right? Saying somewhat. So they've, They've seen examples of AI and they've they've got those implementations that are driving value in their business, like you say. And there's actually a positive skew towards those that are mature, which is a really good movement that we're seeing. Um, but to your point, there's still a large number. You know, I, th- I think it's about um, you know sixty sixty two percent that are still not above the somewhat right, not above the the average. So there's a there's a large way to go. And I think, you know, if we if we link that to a finding further on in the survey, which is around the lack of familiarity of the concepts and principles around AI. And I think to your point about strategy, to, to build a strategy, you really need to know what you're dealing with and what you're grappling with. And we're seeing that kind of come through, which is, you know, we're jumping on, on the bandwagon, we're finding impact, but there's much more to be found. And, and then I think that kind of having a, a, a strategy that sits across all of those things and brings those things together is what's going to move that, you know, further skew towards the right. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a positive movement. Um, but for me, there, there's a lot further we could go. And I guess that that comes to the next question, Ben, of, of kind of how. And in our report, we kind of start by looking at the strategy piece and we look at the maturity, but then we come on to outcomes. And I know this is an area that, you know, we, we as Mesh are passionate about, you know, yourself are passionate about, how do we move the needle so that those impactful projects, and we've got, you know, some statistics on that as well, which show 
we're seeing more projects. It's not 80% failure anymore, right? But it's also not 80% success. So, you know, how do we move the needle even further to, to drive outcomes uh, across across the whole enterprise? So I think the thing for me, right, is to, just to kind of go back to that previous point, almost 80% are seeing success. I think that for me just confirms the necessity to double down on AI adoption um, and ensuring that you've got a really sound strategy aligned to your kind of key business initiatives. We speak to enterprise customers and we're in a fortuitous position to speak to CXOs on a day-by-day basis, but it's always important to ensure that your data strategy and ultimately your AI strategy are fundamentally aligned to your business strategy. And I know it sounds really simple in terms of me kind of making those sweeping statements, but more often than not, a lot of enterprise organizations seem to forget about the necessity of aligning the technology capabilities to business outcomes. You know, and and the number of times that we've, we've been in a situation where organizations have embarked on building a field of dreams and a panacea of enterprise data capabilities, as an example, without actually associating that to the needs of the business is is more often than not. But I guess to kind of go back to your point, how do we get started? You know, I think earlier in the year, we released DARA, the Data and AI Readiness Application, to kind of provide that initial litmus test where organizations can first and foremost understand, you know, generally how ready each respective part of their business is uh, to embark on an, an, an AI adoption journey. And, and more specifically, looking at opportunities where generative AI could be applied in their business. You know, and, and I'm, I mentioned at the top end of the call, you can't measure what you don't improve. So getting that initial baseline and understanding of where are we and where do we need to go, but then mapping that to more objective considerations in terms of the business impact is super fundamental. I think the reality of it is we could all say, let's do some isolated proof of concepts and let's do some incubation and then let's take these use cases all the way to production. That's quite formulaic in respect of really how to do this in a kind of methodical approach. But I think at the heart of it all is fundamentally, first and foremost, you've got to get your data in order. If we look at enterprise adoption and you know we've, we've seen lots of um, commentary in the public domain around the hallucin- hallucinogenic uh, behaviors of certain large language models, as an example, um, you fundamentally need to make sure that you prevent those hallucinations from occurring in the first place. And the first step on any respective AI journey is ensuring that you've got a highly curated, trustworthy backbone of data that is accessible, um, that is traceable, and that is fundamentally governed using modern engineering practices. If we can't enable that in the first instance, everything above it will ultimately be um, a tidal wave of disruption um, across your across your business. And, and you know, you won't get the impact that you'd expect from an, an AI adoption journey. So fundamentally, establishing your domains, getting the data sets curated, making them discoverable through uh, data catalogs, but ultimately looking at ways in which that can then be embodied. So I'm mindful there's a, a couple of things there, but the fundamental here for me is if you're going to get started and you're serious, you kind of really need to get your data order in the first instance. And I think that was something that was a, a significant standpoint that came out as part of the research. Um, hopefully my subconscious ramblings there were, um, were coherent enough in, in terms of the audience's uh, listening. 
Yeah, they were, Ben. And actually, they they link very nicely to some of the topics we've talked about before. And we've spent a little bit of time talking about, obviously, the hype and buzz of, of Gen AI. And, and for me, that final point you mentioned, which is don't forget data, because it, it's what allows you to do everything on top of it, actually has, has heightened that focus. Um, and we'll come on to ethics in, in a moment. But um, yeah, I, I think it's for me and, and for all of us who care deeply about getting those foundations right, it's actually helped us right to focus back on the things that will will drive the long term you know value of of these these underlying technologies. No, totally. And 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 look, right. I think um, I was fairly flippant in my remarks around taking use cases. Right. I, I mean, that is a sound approach. I'm not a fan of the terminology myself, but understanding the business outcome or the initiative that's going to make you money, save you money, or reduce risk is fundamental to kind of understand. And ultimately, I guess the big thing for me is where we create those highly curated data sets, when we do that, what do those things then unlock in terms of business opportunities? Um, And that then gives you a sequential uh, roadmap where you can start to layer up um, those opportunities to make money, save money, reduce risk with AI in a prioritized fashion um, that you can then understand the feasibility, the value. Um, the complexity and ultimately the usability of these um, AI-enabled services in, in your business. And that ultimately will enable you to build the muscle memory, enable you to create the literacy in your organization and help you evolve your operating model whereby you do need to move towards kind of cross-functional product-orientated teams. You do need the mentality of you build it, you run it. You do need cloud, um, you know, all of these kind of sequential things that, that actually do need to happen. But I guess if you kind of look at it all across the board, you know, AI is the tip of the spear that really does enable you to reimagine how your business operates and it pulls everything else with it. So when you talk about AI, you are talking about a business transformation end to end where we need modern engineering practices. We need modern ways of working with data. We need cloud capabilities. We need ML you know, we need highly curated data sets. And ultimately, we've been talking about digital transformation for God knows how many years. Um, but actually, we're now at a point where it can be really realized. Um, and that's the opportunity that I think AI is really going to be providing our customers. And again, was was one of the pivotal purposes for us to to embark on this research. So you you touched upon quite a lot of points there, Ben. So I'm, I'm going to try and, and break it out into uh, a couple of detailed ones that we can dive deeper into. So there's an aspect in there around business opportunities, and I'm not going to call it use cases, <laughs> right? But you certainly also touched upon the key building blocks or almost a, the prerequisites to a degree that an organization needs and and, and talent and, and quality data were some of them, which we'll uh, dive deeper into as well in a second. But Coming back to the first piece, that the working backwards from your business strategy, or most importantly, what is the opportunity, the business opportunity that AI gives you? Um, what actually struck me as interesting from the report was when we sort of asked organizations what the main driver for adopting AI in their business was, more than 50% um, said increasing operational efficiencies and, and improving the customer experience was was the main driver. Versus when we look at improving or increasing new revenue streams, 
or responding to competition that was less than 20%. Um, and so at least to, to me, re reading the report, it, it tells me that a lot of them are focused on, let's just say, defensive use cases at the moment, but the opportunity in the offensive space, i.e. looking at other areas to build their business into, is huge, right? And it's, I would say, largely untapped at the moment. What's your take on that? And is that a fair reflection based on the conversations that you've been having with customers on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with regards to the opportunities that AI presents them? Tough question to answer. Um, so I will try and break it down into uh, a couple of uh, reposts. The, I guess the first thing is if we look back to, I think it was April, May time, um, there was a, a very well-known global bank that had released a research paper around the future workforce and its predictions of how AI could potentially disrupt the job market in certain service industries, as an example. So that's obviously a conundrum for a lot of people across the planet. So I guess, first and foremost, we really need to consider like the ethical challenges of AI and what its impact will be on society. And that kind of goes back to your point of, you know, businesses looking at AI to introduce operational efficiencies. And, and ultimately, when you think about operational efficiencies, you increase the accuracy of doing the thing right the first time. Um, so ultimately, you eliminate the waste of that. There then is an argument that you can do it faster. Um, and then ultimately, if you can do it faster, you potentially don't need as many people doing the thing because you are eliminating the, the opportunities for, for rework, as an example, right? Um, where we mentioned about that, that human waste of getting things wrong the first, second, maybe third time. So I guess that's kind of a, an, an immediate consideration that we, we kind of need to pay some homage to. But when you start to think about this more broadly, it's always quite easy to introspect and think about what we can do internally with AI, because it's probably a little bit safer to learn within your own organization about the business impacts that that could have, both positive and negative, before you start to unwield AI in a production context where ultimately it's consumer and or customer facing, um, which is always uh, a precarious position for um, a number of organizations to consider because they've dealt with their customers in a specific way for many, many years and have established brand reputation that could have been traded on personal relationships, uh, brand affinity that's been attributed to um, established marketing campaigns and uh, personas and, and real deep rooted brand iconography that you know, are founded on values. And ultimately, you need to ensure that the AI that you start to um, release into your services and products is a true reflection of the ethics of your own business. Um, and you wouldn't want AI to behave in any way or form that you wouldn't want your employees to behave. So those are kind of really challenging considerations. And, and I think that is why there is a reflection that many organizations are firstly saying, let's look at what we can do internally in terms of uh, you know, operational efficiencies, because it enables them again to build the muscle memory it enables them to establish uh, governance frameworks uh, and control environments to ensure that they um, are able to mitigate unknown risks. They can limit the blast radius of the hallucinations that I alluded to a moment ago in the instance of, of generative AI, but they can then scale those capabilities and, and subtly start to um, introduce AI-enabled services, as I mentioned, to the consumer landscape in a much more controlled process. And I think that's kind of where, 
you really un- need to understand the potential harm of an AI-enabled service on, on the organization, on the wider market, and ultimately on your customers, which I guess kind of brings us back to the ethical considerations, right? And and again, I think that's why the reflections that we've seen in the data are inferring the, the necessity to look internally in the first instance and, um, and really um, unearth opportunities for operational efficiencies. That's definitely quite interesting, Ben. And, you know, particularly, for example, if we look at um, McKinsey, for example, who, who released a report as well, for, where from their point of view, they could forecast almost $4.4 trillion in the global economy being added annually just by leveraging generative AI within, within large organizations, right? DBS, what's your take on it? No, again, I think uh, nail on the head there. For me, there's also, a you know, the pace of technology and, and how quickly it can catch up with the ideas. Um, you know, I think Ben's spot on when he talks about kind of the, the risks and the ethical implications. But I also think that we're not there yet in terms of connecting, you know, massive amounts of enterprise data that we've been using for years, tabular, even document, right, um, or, or varying forms to these new types of models, which are largely accessible and you can move quickly on. So the the risk of of internal is much lower. We're only now starting to see, you know, some of the big players release the ability, for example, to to connect to, you know, vector search capabilities to really, really maximize the the limitations of prompt inputs. And we're also seeing some interesting movements around kind of graph technologies and how you connect that with, you know, with generative based approaches. But it's in its you know, infancy, and I think you know as the technology landscape catches up, um, as as we see those you know bridging of old and new, along with like Ben was talking about the maturity of the regulation and, and our understanding of that, bringing those two things together to point more at external and you know um, uh, customer user facing applications, you know will happen, um, and it will be who is best placed to move on both of those things when it does happen and. And when you know we're on top of, of both sides of it, so no, I, th- I think it's um it's only the start, as as Ben was saying. If I look back on the last twenty years, I'm going to show my age now, right? So I'm thirty eight years old, and I've worked in technology for for kind of a fast approaching twenty plus years, and I'm going to sound like a, an old dog when I when I kind of use this phraseology. In that period, we've kind of seen some pretty cool technology advancements, right? Like the internet when when I was first at school was like the the moment. Then we had the iPhone and and then we had cloud and all of the things that we're seeing around distributed uh, technologies and blockchain. And you know, you kind of look at it and you go, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's all right. And I've never been so excited about any kind of technology capability uh, than I have in the in the last kind of uh, 18 to 24 months in respect of AI. Um, we are literally at the tip of the spear at this moment in time. And there is so much more to come. And I think that's partly the problem in that nobody really knows the full potential of what this can add to their respective businesses. And, and I kind of go back to the, the point previously about building that muscle memory. You know, if you're if you're really serious about AI, and, and I guess that's the reflection of, of the research paper, you've got to change everything, right? You've got to change how you service customers how you engage with them how you govern your own services how your business operates because if you just put ai into the existing business processes that you have today you're not really reimagining you're not really looking at how you can do things differently 
And I guess that's probably the the next thing that we're going to find with a lot of organizations is, um, you know, how do we introduce these operational efficiencies? But when we do, how do we do everything differently? Because that's the key thing for me. You touched upon a, a massive point there, Ben, because if I was to even look at the insights that we've got from our report, right, some of the biggest challenges and risks or, or barriers to entry that uh, the responders have talked about, lack of understanding, regulations and compliance, and too many competing priorities were the top three ones. However, if we were to look at the wave of technological change that's followed through over the last, say, 10 years with cloud then DevOps or DevOps first and cloud and now AI. The one element we've always talked about is uh, reshaping your operating model, right? But I would say by and large, a lot of that was always focused towards product teams or tech teams. But with with AI now, now being where it is, to your point, you are fundamentally having to reimagine and almost build from your ground up what your business actually means and how it should be structured and what it does and how it delivers it. How scary do we think is that for organizations, right? Because um, it's very easy to say at times that, you know, you've, you've got to be a change agent and you've got to drive transformation. But that is, if I'm a CEO and I'm looking down the barrel of AI, I must be either someone who's genuinely very much looking to drive change and rethink fundamentally what I do, or actually say, mm, okay, let's just apply to the defensive capabilities and we sort of leave it at that. Do we think it's going to come down to that, i.e. those who just use it for the defensive use cases will only see so much value, but under, unless you fundamentally reimagine what you do and how you do it, you won't actually have AI drive all the value proposition that it actually can deliver upon? I think the the reality of it is you'd, you'd never know, right, if you don't try. Um, and that's the, uh, unless we can have a mythical model that will predict the future for all of that, for all of our enterprise customers, um, I don't think we're, we're, we're ever going to be able to answer that in, in totality. I guess the paradigm for me, though, is let's just use generative AI as an example, right? And, and let's say at this moment in time, you've got a huge outsourced agreement with you know, a major organization who does all of your IT development for you. That comes at a significant overhead. It sometimes comes at, with a significant level of stress for the business um, when they're not necessarily dealing with people that are in a closer proximity to them. You know, the argument there is you don't need the 500 people or the 2,000 people to help you on this. You can probably now supercharge a highly skilled team of SMEs who are in a closer proximity to your business um, with generative AI capabilities, right? And I think there's been some studies of, of late that are showing 50 to 60% um, productivity gains of um, the application code that's being written by software engineering teams, as an example, right? So if you get that 50 to 60% velocity increase, um, and by by the way, you also get an improvement in code cohesion, the performance of the code, the security of it, because you're not necessarily violating any um, known open source vulnerabilities. You know, why why do you need that? And and that kind of you know, if I was a you know a CTO, CIO, CXO level, you know, I'd be looking at those types of capabilities and saying, you know, I can reimagine my workforce, I can get closer to the business, um, and actually we can break down some of these silos and barriers because. Again, you know, the opportunity to um, generate new ideas, new products and new services is but a click of a button away. You know, there's 
um, the, the, the opportunity is, is insurmountable. It's very easy for me to say this when I work for a data and AI consultancy, but you, we kind of need to, right? Because if we don't, we're not going to necessarily maximize the opportunity that, you know, as DBS mentioned a moment or two ago, we're literally just getting started. So Ben, you, you touched on our dear friend, our co-pilot and our coding capabilities that the generative AI has, has, has given us and the efficiency gains. And that's just one example of of the skills um, that were previously you know, difficult uh, to acquire. In one hand, we've seen a step change that takes you from being a, you know, an average developer coder to a good coder. Outside of that, you know, across the report, we've seen challenges of connecting data, connecting uh, that to AI, connecting across different types of AI and the technologies that, that um, you know, facilitate it. So there are still a lot of challenges that exist to go from you know, where we are today, where we are in the future. Um, just want to get your views on talent and and attracting talent and upskilling talent. And, you know, if we really want to move in the directions that we've been talking about today, how how can enterprises really do that in, in the face of what is, you know, a, a, a difficult, difficult challenge? Yeah. So, I, look, I guess the, the long and short of it is everyone is trying to fight for the same skills in a talent market that is incredibly competitive. And I guess there's a couple of things that you can do to get the bright people into your business. You can create an environment of experimentation and innovation uh, and promise them the world in terms of being able to build their own skills and experience using some incredibly cutting edge technology. Um, I guess the second one is um, create a great culture and an environment where they want to join your business and get behind some pretty important and compelling challenges across society. So, you know, whether that be the race to net zero um, and the energy transition, as an example. And I guess thirdly, you pay them pretty damn well, right? And um, more often than not, you will get two of the three. And if you get two of those three, you're probably in a pretty good position in terms of your um, prosperity from an employment perspective. But I guess the, the kind of old adage that I mentioned earlier, right? Sometimes you have to breed your own unicorns. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer that um, nobody knows our customers' data better than our customers. Um, and they actually know their own businesses probably more so better than any external third party. But what they don't necessarily have is the engineering credentials to um, safely and securely apply AI in an accelerated timeframe, which ultimately is why organizations like ourselves exist. And I guess when you talk about breeding your own unicorns, there's a couple of ways in which you can do that. You create sandpit environments where people can go and do that experimentation in a safe and secure and ethical way without any kind of fear of repercussions if um, machine learning models or AI-enabled services do start to behave uh, erroneously and, and add risk to the business. You can establish an internal network of SMEs in your own respective organization who can be there as the champions for AI. Um, they can be seen as the beacons of light for others to follow. Um, and they can also be there to act as a support network to educate the workforce around AI literacy, uh, AI culture, and ultimately establishing the technical um, capabilities in your organization. So again, you can build that fundamental muscle memory. I guess the final point that I really wanted to, to kind of just touch on here, though, is really looking at establishing an operating model that enables your people to thrive. So 
where we've spoken about public cloud and uh, you know having automated guardrails in place so that the control environment that you can apply machine learning and AI within um, is is constrained to a certain extent, but it's constrained for the right reasons. Um, so people know the parameters and the boundaries that they can operate in um, and the vectors that they can't. Uh, and that fundamentally enables, um, you know, the opportunity for safe experimentation with AI. Um, and I guess that kind of whole notion of enabling your people throughout a transformation is fundamental. So, you know, sometimes having the assistance of a partner who can you know, provide you with uh, an accelerated impetus of highly skilled SMEs where you can perform paired programming and um, you can run immersion days um, to help build further capability, skills and experience in the organization. Um, but it also enables you the opportunity to identify how to do things a little bit differently. So, you know, we talked um, in a previous life about centers of enablement and centers of excellence. I, I, I'm again, a firm believer that there shouldn't really be a center of anything, but you want to establish communities um, and you want to ensure that you've got people within your organization that are centered around enabling others, supporting them uh, to bridge their respective skills gaps, but ultimately um, in doing so, ensuring that you've got the investment mechanisms to enable your people to go on to external accreditations and um, learn with a ma magnitude of um, web-based learning capabilities. You know, I think if you just jump onto YouTube today, there's um, there's coding uh, examples of how you can um, build machine learning models and, and AI-enabled software products pretty rapidly. But I guess to, to kind of Deepak's earlier point, it's incredibly becoming more and more, um, you know, if you look at it, AI is becoming almost like a utility to a certain extent, a utility IT service um, where you look at and as your open AI or a bedrock from, from AWS, um, you know, the interface and the accessibility to using these services is going to be really simple. You know, it's probably likely that my grandma or my granddad would be able to use uh, chat GPT, right? Um, as, as an example. So, you know, where we talked about the skills and experience previously um, in software engineering, it's probably going to be quite likely that from an AI perspective, you know, unless you're fine tuning models, as an example, it's not going to be that hard for you to adopt it because it is going to be an intuitive user interface, co-pilot authored services um, that are then embedded into business processes. So, yeah, I think, again, what a time to be alive, but ultimately we're all grappling for the same skills so I guess the thing for me is affording your people the opportunity to learn new capabilities, build new skills and expertise, and do that in a way that's mapped back to business value so that they can feel um, and see the impact of their efforts on business outcomes. Certainly is an interesting time to be alive, Ben. And I, I think you're spot on. And, and actually, over the years, connecting you know what were formerly known as data scientists or machine learning engineers to the wider business you mentioned cross-functional teams but i think the accessibility of ai now if you have folks pulling together towards you know the skills in the right places towards the right outcomes then then we'll get there so ben you've already made a number of predictions about the future um in in your commentary today i just want to do a quick round robin uh for you as well deepak but this this time next year right we run, run this report 
what do you want to see in that in that report that has changed? What would you like to have seen in terms of how we've moved the needle across the industry uh, in the results that we get back? I'm pretty sure we can get this data and, and depends how much we'd like to uh, hold Microsoft to account to it, right? But I would love to see a metric where we're able to track the reduction in Word documents or PowerPoint presentations or Excel spreadsheets that one has to manipulate and work with as a result by by integrating AI into the process. Um, I think pretty much every single large enterprise and business London Excel, I, th- I think we've all seen that in our lives. But I think for me, that would be an interesting metric to track, right? Um, actually, what has been the reduction in time to insight or, or time to answering a question um, just by applying the right technology integrated into the business process. And that's not just generative, it it could be any other AI technique. Uh, Because I think fundamentally when it comes to uh, making our jobs easier or or a lot more fun, I think that that certainly goes a long way. So that that might be something that maybe Ben and DBS we could consider as a metric for next year's report. Yeah, we we certainly could do back. I think, you know, if if the landscape hasn't completely changed by next year, um, we might have to to rethink the entire survey. But um... Uh, ben, what's your prediction for, for this time next year? I guess the the key one for me is that there's a better understanding of each organization's respective AI strategy. And I think, you know, over the course of 2023, as I mentioned, the subconsciousness of AI has gone uh, absolutely bonkers at Exco level. But they need to get to the point now where that um, interest and that appetite to do something actually translates into clearly defined and understood strategies um, that can be articulated and adopted at each layer of the organization. I guess the final one for me, though, is I don't want to see people saying that regulation is a prohibitor to um, enterprise AI adoption. And actually, I'm a firm believer that if you embody regulatory obligations in the right way and you use data and you use modern engineering practices and software capabilities to kind of govern how you apply compliance reporting as an example um, or how you might um, control um, and oversee the development of machine learning models in your business using MLOps capabilities. Regulation is the thing that tells you how to do it and it tells you how to do it safely and securely um, and that's the the kind of the big thing for me is that I don't want to see regulation as the thing that's stifling innovation from AI. Um, and I think we'll get more clarity in the next 12 months around what's deemed to be acceptable and what isn't. Um, and I think that that will then start to lower um, the hesitation um, for enterprise organizations. And I think Deepak, back to the earlier point that we mentioned, you know, the um the kind of uh, 73%, I think it was, we mentioned around operational efficiencies in organizations were, were kind of mooted as the, the main driver and, and less so around new business opportunities. I think we're going to see more and more people tick the box around new business opportunities and fewer people tick the box around operational efficiencies. It speaks to a much more exciting future, Ben, and, and you know, the unlocking of value. And I think to do that to my very first point, in the podcast was the crossing of technologies and you know to your to your early point ben don't forget the data don't forget the the, the foundational pieces that that give you that capability in the long term 
So yeah, so it's a great read. Lots of interesting talking points in there, um, fueled by you know the both statistics and and discussions across industry. If you would like to to discuss these these points more uh, and find out more about you know where they've come from and 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 the details of how you know we believe we can build upon these, do reach out to hello at mesh-ai.com, and we will be pleased to talk through the results further um, for you and your organisation. Thank you, folks, and hope you enjoyed that one. I appreciate you tuning in to yet another episode on the Data AI podcast. Ben, DBS, it was great having both of you and looking forward to our next one. Thanks very much, guys, and see you next time. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Data and AI podcast from Mesh AI. For more information, head over to our website, meshai.com, that's mesh-ai.com, or get in touch via email, podcasts at meshai.com, that's mesh-ai.com. See you next time.